Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about firefighters, call it communism, U.S. Senate candidate from Oklahoma, Jackson Lawmeyer joins me, and Fauci, puppy, but not people, outrage. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I call those First Five Firefighters Call It Communism. And the reason I did that, there was a massive protest in New York City uh, of people who are firefighters, police officers, other emergency workers, a massive protest over the impending vaccine mandate. Essentially, this Friday is the last day they can work without showing proof of a vaccine. After this Friday, they're going to be sent home uh, without pay until they cooperate with this vaccine mandate. I thought it was really interesting. In fact, I encourage you to read this story from Epoch Times. They, it, they actually covered this protest and they interviewed some of the people who were involved in the protest. So I want to show you. I sent um, Mr. Becker, uh, my new, uh, yeah, okay, leave it right there. Okay, this is a huge protest in New York City. And you have to keep in mind, keep that picture up for a second. You have to keep in mind, New York City is filled with Democrats, overwhelmingly Democrat city, hasn't voted, I guess they voted for Rudy Giuliani, but they're mostly overwhelmingly Democrat. And these people, firefighters and police officers, they are union, they're public union people. And look at the size of the crowd. The report in Epoch Times was that there were thousands in the streets. There's another picture I sent to Mr. Becker, my new happy producer. Communism is here. I want you to leave that up for a moment, and I want to talk to you about what some of these people were saying when they were being interviewed at the protest. They're there to protest this COVID vaccine mandate. And among the points they were making, you can take it down. I just, I want to point out they use the word communism, but you can take the picture down. What they are saying in these interviews is not just, I mean, some of them had points like, look, you know, Many of us have been out in the public the whole time since COVID's been around, police officers, firefighters, emergency workers. We've been exposed, we've had COVID, we have natural immunity. So why doesn't the city follow the science? Why doesn't the city say, oh, you have natural immunity, then you don't need, the, you don't need to get the vaccine. So that was one point. But the larger point they were making, several people being interviewed by Epoch Times are saying, this is communism. And I want to just address that in the first five to make this point for, to encourage you to think about this. For many years, any time people uh, were criticizing anything the left was doing, people on the right would uh, quite freely and, and sometimes in an unjustified way fling out, you can't do that, that's Marxist, that's socialist, that's communist. And it became meaningless to say that because if anyone didn't like left-wing policies, they would give it that label and it became meaningless. I want to urge you to focus on the reality that what the government is doing with these vaccine mandates can actually be fairly characterized as communism. 
I'm fully aware, I'm a well-educated lawyer, I understand the difference uh, and the nuances, and I'm a student of American history, student of politics, I understand the nuanceical differences you can do, the parsing you can do between Marxism, socialism, communism. The basic concept in Marxism and socialism is the idea that the government owns the means of production. And so you don't get to really own anything. I mean, absolute communism, you don't own your home, you don't own your car, you don't own your business, you don't own anything. The government owns everything and you're a happy camper owning nothing. And that is the idea of communism. But you'll hear people say, well, you can't call this COVID thing communism, it's just a public health policy. But it's really not, it's really not. If you can, as a government in America, take away the right of an individual to go to work or take away the right of an employer, a business to function because the government has put on the individual or the company such an onerous, obnoxious, all controlling policy. The fact is, it doesn't really make any difference who technically owns the business. What the government is saying is, you don't really have the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Like the Declaration says, you only have the right to liberty the government decides you can have today. And so we have right now, we have a vaccine mandate for COVID, and they're already saying, even if you don't have the vaccine, that vaccine and you do get it, you're pretty soon you're gonna have to have the booster, and then some other virus will come along, and then you're going to end up with uh, more mandates, and you have lost the presumption of liberty in America. The way the left is conducting policy out of Washington, D.C. is utterly antithetical to the promise of individual liberty spelled out in the Declaration, enhanced in the Constitution, and the entire basis of America as a country dedicated to the freedom of the individual, the personal responsibility of the individual, the right of the individual to live in freedom is gone. Leftists are using COVID, and we'll talk about this more later in the show, but leftists are using COVID to force vaccine mandates on people, as you can see from the firefighters point in the story, who don't even need a vaccine because they've gotten the natural immunity. Others who actually read a lot about the vaccines and they don't want these vaccines because they read about the astonishingly high death rate and the unbelievably high injury rate flowing from these vaccines never before in American history tolerated by the uh, medical community. But all of a sudden, the fact we have 17,000 deaths recorded, which is a low number, this is of the deaths actually reported to the government from just these COVID vaccines, people are reacting to that and they're saying, wait a minute, it's my body, it's my life, it's my liberty. So I really like the idea. I, do, I am careful not to fling out the terms Marxism, socialism, communist, but what the left is saying in COVID is because of this grotesquely exaggerated reaction to COVID, because of this steamrolling of the American people this, on this vaccine mission from, uh, you know, from on high, nobody has liberty, no one decides for themselves, no business decides for themselves, the government controls you. And that, my friends, may fairly be characterized as communism. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So we have joining us a gentleman, I actually had the pleasure of meeting him recently. My husband and I, in fact, I was uh, telling you about this. We, I was up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, for a meeting 
And uh, we met a bunch of different people who are involved in the conservative movement, leaders in the conservative movement, people who do shows like mine. This is a gentleman who is in the state of Oklahoma, and he's running for U.S. Senate. His name is Jackson Lawmeyer, and he is a pastor. He's a young guy. He's a pastor, and he is challenging the incumbent senator uh, from Oklahoma, a gentleman named James Lankford. I want to tell you the quickest story about Lankford before we bring on our candidate, Jackson um, Lawmeyer. So two months ago or so, my husband and I in Dallas were invited to a fundraiser. There are a lot of people, by the way, in North Texas who are from Oklahoma and they have roots in Oklahoma still. So somebody invited us to a fundraiser for Senator Lankford. And I actually didn't know that much about him. I knew he was Republican senator from Oklahoma. And so we went to it and he gave a very, very lengthy talk. I mean, it was, it was good. I mean, I don't like to go to fundraisers and you barely hear what the candidate has to say. So he gave a very lengthy talk. In his talk, the things that stood out to my husband and me and to everyone standing around us were that this senator, his, among the main complaints he had, livid that someone would dare to challenge him. How dare someone bring a primary challenge against him? You know, he's a really swell guy, didn't like the fact he's being challenged in a primary. He talked at great length about the January 6th incident at the US Capitol, never once giving credence to the idea that the people who were protesting in Washington may actually have had very legitimate concerns about the 2020 elections. In fact, very dismissive of that idea, just saying, you know, hey, you know, we always have a little bit of fraud, no reason to think this was a fraudulent election. And his entire focus uh, in talking about what happened on January 6th was this idea that, you know, these people were, and they were out of control, to be really clear, people who are violent, who committed crimes, should be prosecuted. But there were many people inside the Capitol who are being prosecuted, who are simply are being prosecuted for trespass or holding a parade without a license inside the Capitol. I mean, those that, without a permit, those are the kinds of charges being brought. And I say this because this guy, this Senator Langford, has no idea what time it is in America. No idea why people are so outraged. In fact, he assumed everybody there at the protest was just some sycophant who just loved President Trump versus people who are actually well-informed and are very concerned about the integrity of the election system. The last thing he hit on at this event we heard, where we heard him speak in Dallas, this is Senator Langford, he was talking about the withdrawal out of Afghanistan. And instead of seeing the big picture, recognizing the danger that America sent a signal to a terrorist mob called the Taliban, a jihadist, violent group, the Taliban, instead of being concerned that we left a lot of military equipment for their availability, that we turned tail and ran, which is exactly what Osama bin Laden had always said America would do. No concern about what message was sent to the jihadists around the world. His assessment on Afghanistan was basically, you know, you could have procedurally had a minor change in how we handle that withdrawal. And probably if we had moved some troops here first and done this next, no conception of why Americans are so upset and concerned about the way America pulled out of Afghanistan. 
So at the, he ended up this talk by saying essentially, and this is just outrageous, I have to spend campaign money against a, with a primary challenger. And what the funniest thing was, and I'm gonna close up, this a long intro to get around to introducing our guests, but the funniest thing was when Senator Langford was finished speaking, and everyone's finally mingle mangling, getting a drink, getting a plate of food. The common thing I heard, at least among my crowd of friends who are at this event, was if I lived in Oklahoma, I'd vote for the primary challenger. I don't even know who he is. I don't even care who he is. I, this guy is out of touch with reality. This guy, Langford, out of touch with where we are in America, out of touch with the left is doing there, bringing Marxism to this country, out of touch. The guy couldn't find a mean word to say about Biden or anything about his agenda. It was just somebody, like he got plucked out of the 1980s and is talking as though everything is the way it was in the 1980s. Not one clue about the danger and the drastic situation America finds itself in. So having said that lengthy introduction, I was so thrilled, my husband and I are both thrilled, when we got to meet this challenger who is now going to join us. And again, this is Pastor Jackson Lawmeyer. Hello. Hey, Debbie, thanks for having me on. Thanks for having me. What great insight. Oh my goodness, I need to bring you on the campaign trail with me. <laughs> you just call me. I could probably come up there. But it was actually a really serious thing. I've used this expression all the time. Doesn't know what time it is in America. Sadly, the conservative yeah. side is filled with people like that. But tell us, I, I saw your, your pictures on your website. You have a beautiful wife, you have five kids, you Thank have a you. thriving, yeah, thriving church. Why are you running for Senate? That's the million dollar question. You know, a lot of people, they come and ask me, they go, Jackson, are you crazy? You know, you pastor a church, you got five kids, you run a business, why in the world uh, would you even want to run for the U.S. Senate? And it's a, it's a funny story, but it's not a funny story. On January the 6th, uh, like you and so many other Americans, uh, I was extremely upset with what I saw happen in our country. And I was very upset with what I saw from my senator being James Langford when he absolutely caved like a coward on national television, stabbed President Trump on the back. I, I was just very upset about that. And so I did a lot of complaining and I was complaining primarily to my wife. And uh, I think my wife got annoyed with it. And she said, you've got to stop complaining and do something about it. I said, I don't know what to do about it. So I'm going to keep complaining. And I just kept complaining and complaining and complaining. And then James Langford came back to Tulsa after January the 6th. And he apologized to the black community in Tulsa for even questioning the fraud. And when he did that, I was just irate. I went from being extremely upset to downright angry. And so I complained even more. And my wife goes, you got to stop complaining. You're supposed to run against him. I said, no, nah, I'm not supposed to run against him. I pastor a church, run a business. I have no desire to do this. She said, well, you're supposed to do it. I happen to do an interview with Ann Vander still. I might run. I might not run is what I say on the interview. You know, I'm not really sure. My wife's pushing me to run. Well, General Flynn's best friend, Carl, happens to be watching the interview. He calls the general. The general humps on checks out the interview. He likes me. They vet me. The general calls me and he says, you're going to run and you're going to win. And uh, I said, yes, sir. So why are we running? Our country's in a lot of trouble and uh, we've got to have strong men and strong women who will stand up and fight. Here's the thing. It's very unfortunate. James has been in D.C. too long. You hit the nail on the head. He's out of touch, completely out of touch. Many of those people who were in Washington, D.C. on January the 6th, protesting a stolen election. Many of those people are my friends here in Oklahoma. They are not insurrectionists. They're patriots. 
And James Langford, he labeled those individuals, many of them United States military veterans, as downright insurrectionists. And so we are in a lot of trouble. They stole an election. You are absolutely correct in what you said about communism sweeping across this country. Uh, when former Vice President Joe Biden declared war on the American people by mandating that they either take a vaccine or they lose their job, that's not American. That is not who we are as a people, and uh, we have to fight. So the reason I'm running is because our country's in trouble, and we've got to have people who will stand up and fight. That's the thing in our circles. We don't have fighters. We may have good people, but we don't have people who play offense. We always play defense. They play offense. We give up ground. They take ground. We play checkers, they play chess, and that's why we're losing this war. And 2022, we need to sweep the House and the Senate, not just with Republicans, because you can have a Republican label. That doesn't mean you have a conservative core. We need to sweep the House and the Senate with America First Patriots, and so that's why I'm running. That is a great answer. I did send to Mr. Becker, my happy producer. I sent the little, I love the thing on your website of the endorsement by Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. <laughs> that is so huge. I mean, do you know how many huge. Senate candidates and House candidates would just love to see that? Because he has It was unbelievable. His, oh my gosh. He's proved himself a patriot and a brave and unswerving and out there every day. So that what a great thing. Okay. I it was amazing. Like, he called me. It was the most <laughs> strange thing. He called me. I, you know, I'd never met him before, and I was the very first candidate he endorsed, and uh, oh my goodness, it just, you know, we got off to the races, and it's been a beautiful thing. Okay, I love it. I will tell you also that yesterday I had on my show an Arizona state senator named Wendy Rogers, and oh, she was yes. on a riff, yeah, she was on a riff about, you know, we have way too many Republicans who really don't do anything. They don't fight. And so she mentioned she ran through a quick list of people she's endorsed. You were one of them <laughs> just to say we need fighters. Well, I want to just talk to you about a bunch of things that I think you're going to be asked on the campaign trail. One is there's kind of on the GOP side, the people who say, look, 2020 might have been a mess, but we, you know, here we are. We're nearing the end of 2021 and we just need to leave 2020 alone and move forward and target winning in 2022 and then 2024 which I do want the GOP to do. But are you in the camp that says we have to figure out, unfold, you know, show America what happened in 2020, and, or people just say, leave it alone and move on? No, you have to fix 2021st. Obviously, I'm running for 2022, and we obviously have the eye on the prize of 2024. But I will echo the words of President Trump you better fix 2021st, otherwise you're not gonna have a 2022 or even a 2024. What happened in 2020 can never ever happen again in this country. And it has to be fixed, it has to be fixed. We have to know what happened. You know, they're fighting these audits so strongly. I don't understand why they fight the audits so strongly because it is in Joe Biden's benefit to conduct these audits to prove he's the most popular president of all time. It's in his benefit, so people like me We'll stop referring to him as former Vice President Joe Biden. You know, all the rhinos, they get so mad at me because I call him former Vice President Joe Biden. They get so mad. They say, you got to call him President Joe Biden. I'm not going to call him President Joe Biden. Stolen elections equate, they do not equate to legitimate presidencies. And so these audits are extremely important because they uncover what happened. And we saw what happened in Maricopa. I'm sure Senator Rogers probably went into great detail with you about what happened in Maricopa County. And I went down there as they were doing the audit and it was a logistical masterpiece. 
and what they have produced, uh, it should have shaken the country more than what it actually did. And I talked about this was, I told a little story about my husband and I had been up at a local Starbucks and talked to this senior gentleman who always hangs out there and he was sitting by himself so we decided to be friendly and so i just said to him basically you know how you doing he said oh tell me about your show what are you doing in your show so i mentioned i was talking a variety of things he launched okay this guy's in new york an old crusty new york east coast democrat he launched on the arizona audit and was a waste of time waste of money waste of energy you know stir the country up and because he saw headlines that said at the end of the day the audit said that biden won that they recounted right. and and so you know fortunately i had a ton of facts available because they follow us so closely and, and i laid out said but did you know this that the audit all they said was they recounted a bunch of votes but many of those were fraudulent when they uncovered the yeah. fraudulent votes 50 to 60,000 of them, then the whole thing changes. But the, I, I swear, I, I get concerned because I don't think, I think many Americans don't know that. They, they saw the headline, as he right. said, I read the headlines. So let me ask you, so, so do you think at this point, for example, Arizona, how do we move forward then? Now we know that there was just an, an invalid election. Do they go ahead and try to decertify their electors? Yeah, so I mean, I support decertification. I am a strong advocate and supporter of that. I mean, when it comes to Maricopa County, you're right. The news headlines was they recounted the ballots and Joe Biden won. Well, here's the thing. If you recount fraudulent ballots, you will get a fraudulent result. Arizona, what happened in Maricopa County was not a recount. That was a forensic audit to determine was this the ballot legitimate or was this ballot fraudulent and like you said they found somewhere upwards of 50,000 fraudulent ballots in one county that's one county there's 3,006 counties in this country in one <laughs> county we found 50,000 fraudulent ballots in a state that president trump supposedly lost by 10,000 votes right so if you have 50,000 fraudulent ballots in one county and the president lost by 10,000 votes you know, I'm no mathematician, but <laughs> that tells me, uh, you know, I think we might have had a little bit of trouble in Arizona, you know, a little bit of trouble there. In fact, we know we had a lot of trouble there and we had a lot of trouble all across this country. So I'm all for decertification because Joe Biden did not win the 2020 presidential election. We would do this if you were in competing in the Olympics. If you were competing in the Olympics and you use performance enhancing drugs, to cross that finish line and receive your gold medal and come to find out you were using those drugs. They take your gold medals away. You didn't win. And uh, Joe Biden did not win. So we need to decertify. I support that effort. I know Senator Rogers is working very hard to do that. And this is where Republicans have to become fighters. Well, it's, it's never happened before. We live in unprecedented times. Unprecedented times call for unprecedented measures. They stole an election. I don't think people understand that. They stole an election. And stolen elections have severe consequences, such as Afghanistan. Afghanistan, that dismal disaster, is a direct result of November the 3rd and a direct result of the certification on January the 6th, a certification that those Republican senators knew was a fraudulent election. They knew it was, and yet they certified the big lie anyways. And when James Langford certified the big lie, he joined in on the big lie. That's a problem. Actually, I forgot to, you said earlier, I meant to follow up on it. Langford had originally said at some point 
that uh, he would agree to send back, I think it was, would agree to send back the uh, decision to some of the states before January 6th. And then I don't know if he got frightened by the uh, January 6th episode in the Capitol, but he later actually not just said, never mind, I'm not going to stand up and, and try to stand for yeah. a fair election. He apologized, and he in particular apologized to black voters, which I never even really yeah. understood why. Why, why. why was it to black voters? Do you have an idea what he was well, thinking? So before January the 6th, he sent out an email saying, we know there's fraud in Arizona. And he told all of his constituents, I cannot certify the electors from the state of Arizona. He's given a speech on January the 6th, national television, I'm watching it. He's given a speech about why he cannot certify the electors from the state of Arizona. And while he's given a speech, that's when the protesters are let in. And then they cut James Langford off in the middle of the speech. They take all the senators and the vice president down to the basement. And six hours later, James Langford is the first person to come back out and do the very thing he was just given a speech about what he couldn't do. And that was certify the electors from the state of Arizona. So he came back to Tulsa and he apologized to the black voters because he said him questioning voter fraud, it appeared as voter suppression and racism because those cities where he was questioning fraud, Phoenix, Philadelphia, Atlanta, they're highly African-American cities. And James is very good at pandering. He's very good at pandering. He wanted to get rid of Columbus Day, wanted to get rid of Andrew Jackson off the $20 bill. Wow. I did not realize he had actually stood up for the idea oh. of getting rid of, I'm sorry. Very I'm good getting, at pandering. Pandering is exactly the right word. And I got to tell you, this is what, uh, not just my conversation with a uh, senator uh, from Arizona, Senator Wendy um, Rogers yesterday, but even this morning I had a call from someone who's, uh, we, we both know this Congress, this particular congressman pretty well. And she called to say that his office had called and said, you know, I have a primary challenger and it's outrageous and I need you to endorse me, step up and endorse me. So she told him basically, let me explain why. You never fight. You don't yeah. fight. You don't fight at anything. I'm telling you, the spirit of your campaign is what so many people are looking for. So many people want to hear that someone's going to fight on the GOP side. Like you. We have to. We always play defense. That's all we ever do. When is the last time the GOP fought? When is the last time we got on the offensive and we scored? President Trump played offense, but look at those that were around him. We controlled the White House, the Senate, and the House. 2016, 2017, and leading into 2018. We couldn't get anything done, and that wasn't because Democrats... We're in control. We were in control. We just don't have people that fight for the right stuff. We don't, and we get pushed around. Langford's a great example, pushed around. Well, some of them might call that racist if you do that. They go, oh, no, 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 don't call yeah. me racist. No, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll say whatever you want me to say. I'm telling yeah. you, Americans are sick of it, which reminds me, by the way, I love that you got Lieutenant General Flynn's endorsement, but didn't you also get the endorsement of the state GOP chair in Oklahoma <laughs> at a time when you have an incumbent Republican who uh, obviously yeah. is endorsing against the incumbent? Tell us about that. It's never happened before. It's never had, you know, it's a first time. The state GOP chairman uh, in Oklahoma endorsed me. As a primary challenger, it's never happened that a state party chairman for the Republican Party has endorsed a candidate in the primary, let alone against an incumbent. And that just goes to show you, 
things are happening in this campaign. This is not a campaign. Uh, this is a movement across the state of Oklahoma. It's been an incredible thing, you know, from General Flynn to the endorsement of Sebastian Gorka, Wendy Rogers, Mike Lindell, you know, Roger Stone, uh, Jenna Ellis, President Trump's attorney. I mean, it's just an absolutely incredible thing to see all this take place. And uh, I'm honored to be a part of it. Okay, I just love it. And be really clear, when is your primary in Oklahoma? June 28th of 2022. So we got about a little less than nine months to go. Well, I was going to say, because in Oklahoma, it has to be the case, whoever wins a primary, the general is yours. I mean, it's a Republican, overwhelmingly Republican state. It kind of makes me jealous. Oh, yeah. So June 28th is your real election date, right? Yeah. That's the real election date. And uh, we're doing very well. Let me tell you, we're doing very well. Okay, I want to be sure our listeners had, I think I sent to Mr. Becker here, your uh, your website, um, which I don't see we have up yet. Um, it was in an email I sent, I think it's, is it just jacksonlaymeyer.com? What is your website? So the website is jacksonlawmeyer.com. Very simple, jacksonlawmeyer.com. But here's the problem, here's the problem. Nobody knows how to say my last name or spell it. They're like, is it Laymeyer, is it Lemire? So I joke around with people and said, you know, if I would have thought this thing through, that one day I'd run for the U.S. Senate, I should have legally changed my name to Jack Law. Think how easy it would have been to campaign <laughs> with a name like Jack Law. Now, I didn't change my name, but what I did do was I bought the domain Jack Law, J-A-C-K-L-A-W, dot U-S. So jacklaw.us will redirect someone to jacksonlawmeyer.com. Okay, that, is, that was a great uh, thought on your part. Great. And I will tell you, with a last name like George Addis, I mean, I do a lot you of know. media. I do. When I get people, I've been on their show 10 times, they'll, call, they'll quick before they come. T- tell me again how to say your name, so I do understand. You know the lie. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned, I saw on your website, I just want to play one last thing you had on your website. I sent to Mr. Becker here, your, um, uh, I think you just called it your uh, pledge, what you, what you pledge, yeah. I, I think this is really good. I want to commend you for it because so many people, I can tell you, good friends of mine who are candidates and running for things, they actually don't want to say the kind of things you're acknowledging here. We're in a culture yeah. war, identity of America, faith, family, and freedom. Radical left wants to separate us by race, gender, religion. I'm telling you, so many Republicans, again, they want to sound like you're in the 1980s and talk about, you know, I'm in favor of limited government and low taxes and strong military, (laughs) not recognizing America is in a war for the very survival of our culture. Do you agree with that? Oh my goodness, and and these politicians, they're so out of touch with the people. You know, I campaign all across the state. I do an event every night, I'm all over the place. We hold huge rallies, also huge rallies. But when I take questions from the people, you know, they don't ask me, what's your tax plan? What do you think about limited government? That's not what they talk to me about. They talk to me about what in the world are we going to do right now because we've lost this country. You see, we're focusing on things so many times as Republicans uh, that it's not the main thing. We got to keep the main thing the main thing. We are in a battle right now between good and evil. There's not a battle between Republicans and Democrats. There's a battle between good and evil. And we got to keep the main thing the main thing that this is a war. This is warfare. And it's a cultural war, it's an ideological war, it's an information war, it's also a spiritual war, which a lot of people don't understand. It's a very spiritual war. And we have to be willing to fight, you know. You can pray, 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 which we need to pray all day long. 
But you know what? You also have to do at some point. You got to go pick up some stones and you got to slay the giants. There's a lot of Goliaths in this land, and uh, we've got to be willing to get out and fight. I'm all for praying. I'm a pastor. I encourage it. Let's pray. But you also got to be willing to fight as well. That's what David did. I love that message, and actually, it's a great message for many people across the country who are realizing it's a spiritual war, and, and they're right. I mean, the whole, I, I often talk, it's a war where either it's America the free or America the communist. These are our two yeah. choices. And, and to understand America the free, you have to understand more than just some slogans. You have to understand yeah. the very, the roots of the idea of America, God-given freedom, rights from our creator because we were born, the right to live in life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And it helps you when you understand that to understand how radically anti-American yeah. today's Democrat Party is. Closing thing, I saw you have a bunch of issues listed on your uh, website. You talked about ending, yeah, that's, thank you very much, Mr. Becker. Uh, you mentioned ending illegal immigration. I mean, I assume you would favor starting building the wall again, or what kind of things, how are we gonna end <laughs> illegal immigration? Well, the wall should have already been built. You know, that shouldn't even be something we're talking about right now. Mm -hmm. The wall should already have been built. But I'm actually, open to the conversation that I think we need to have as a country, which is an immigration moratorium for a season. For a season, this is not forever, but for a season, that nobody's coming in right now until we figure out who is in this country and how we're going to legally get people to come into this country. So yeah, you gotta build the wall. Yes, you need to empower Border Patrol. They've got their hands tied behind their backs, but I think we need to have a conversation for a season about an immigration moratorium because we have no idea who's even in this country right now. Okay, I love that idea. That was actually being talked about a few years ago, just to say, yeah, we gotta catch up on who is here, resolve the legal status of the you know low end 11 yep. million, high end 30 or 35 million people with no yep. legal right to be here. I, I'm completely for that. A moratorium, you say for a season, which is a good term because it's open. I mean, it's open. 20, 20, 30, 40 years, I'm serious about that until we just, it's like we have to restore our country. So You have uh, to, you have to. Okay, so again, to, for people to find you and support your campaign, it's you have jacklaw.com, was that it, jacklaw.com? Well, it's jacklaw.us, so I'm running okay. the U.S. Senate, jacklaw.us, uh, J-A-C-K-L-A-W.us, it'll redirect you to jacksonlawmeyer.com. <laughs> I, I love that. That was very, very clever Gotta to love do. my good German last name. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I want to thank you for joining me today, and thank you for running. Thanks. Honestly, so many people do what you do. Went home, talked to your wife, sit on the dinner table, grouse and lament and complain and are fearful, and instead, people got to jump up and get in the fight. Thank you for getting in the fight for America. Thank you. I got a great wife. I got a great wife. Glad to hear that. You need that in these wild times. You need a solid home. So, uh, Pastor, Lo uh, I'm going to say it right, Lawmeyer, right? You got it. You okay. Got it. Pastor Lawmeyer, thank you so much for running for U.S. Senate. Thank you for joining me today. I really urge our listeners to go to your website, read his positions. He is one of us, folks. He's a fighter for America. And again, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Okay, my friends, I have one more story today. And I have to tell you, all of you probably saw these stories that just in the last four or five days came out that in response to a massive uh, Freedom of Information Act, you know, information dump, it came to the attention of people in Washington that the NIH, the National Institute of Health, 
run by Anthony Fauci, has been funding some impossibly grotesque experiments on animals. Uh, I won't go into much detail except to say these experiments included things like these little sweet little beagle puppies and cutting their vocal cords so they couldn't bark and sticking their head in a cage where they can't get loose and inflicting on them for 22 months in some points insects infected with infectious diseases the insects literally eating the faces off of these beagles these puppies other inherently impossibly grotesque experiments on dogs on monkeys similarly a almost impossibly grotesque description of what they were doing they were torturing monkeys who by the way are the closest in the you know g and similarity to humans in terms of genetics torturing monkeys by using acid to destroy the portion of their brain a portion of their brains and then scaring them with snakes and other things they're naturally scared of i mean the stuff that went on is beyond grotesque and i am not a big you know i i people some people want to say no testing of of um you know pharmaceuticals on animals i'm not there because i do think you have to make sure to the best of, of your ability that pharmaceuticals before they're released to the public you know after other testing measures are tested in a controlled way I, I'm not against all testing on animals. Some groups are. But the group that came out with this described this ongoing, grotesque, brutal, I mean, make Goebbels look like a nice guy, the Nazi, experience on dogs and experiments on monkeys, and they're horrible. And of course, instantly, right away, you have stories coming out. Anthony Fauci, he wasn't in charge of this. Okay, it's his group, it's his organization funding these things. But the real thing I want to say about this, they are grotesque, and if they broke any laws, which I assume they did, I hope a bunch of them get prosecuted. But I really want to pause it for you to think about the fact that people are now outraged. A bipartisan group of congressmen and senators are spouting off and letting uh, Fauci know, we're outraged and you're not going to stand for this and you're going to be investigated. All of this is going on at the same time that we are in this, we're not really in the pandemic anymore. We're near the end of the pandemic or past the pandemic, according to many doctors. But you have Anthony Fauci's conduct in dealing with COVID. I just want to remind you, people bent out of shape about the monkeys and the puppies, who are, they, they are right to be upset about it, but I want you to think about these are people who did not get upset over the way Fauci conducted American policy in response to COVID. Let me tell you what I mean very, very specifically. When COVID first came along, say February or so of 2020 of last year, the main message out of Fauci and Burks was that there were no medications available no workable treatments that everybody should just, if you contracted COVID, you should just stay home. And some of the instructions doctors got who came on my show to tell about it would say, you know, nothing works at all. No medication. So you stay home. 
and if your lips start turning blue and you can't think clearly, maybe you should go to the hospital, at which time they'll probably intubate you, put you on a ventilator, and you'll probably die. That was exactly what the medical community was hearing out of Fauci and Burks. No potential medications can help. Everybody has to sit tight until the vaccines come along. This is what Fauci was saying, not just in the beginning of, of the vaccine, of the whole pandemic in 2020, but for months and months and months and months and months, even up until now. The main advice of the NIH is just get these vaccines. In the meantime, in the meantime, there were studies, and I want to tell you, I put these up on our website because I want you to read them yourself. There were studies about, especially in the early phase when people had COVID, the first five or six days when you contracted COVID, that the use of hydroxychloroquine, which is a patented drug, long uh, patented, meaning nobody's making any big money off it anymore. It was used to deal with malaria. It was safe, effective, had been used for decades and decades well proven not to have bad side effects, well proven to be efficacious uh, for uh, malaria and other uses. So long used, legal, already approved by the FDA, and doctors tried, began to try to speak up and say, you know, Dr. Fauci, actually, and I had doctors on my show saying this, actually, Dr. Fauci, hydroxychloroquine especially early on in the first few days of contracting COVID is a wonderful treatment. It actually works. People get better. In fact, it works as a prophylactic, meaning take it even when you don't have COVID to, to uh, protect yourself from contracting COVID, protect yourself from becoming ill with COVID. So doctors tried to say this. They tried to speak up to Fauci and other officials in Washington and then, you know, Donald Trump made some statement about, you know, I actually think hydroxychloroquine works pretty well. And that was enough to let loose Fauci and others in power in Washington to mock and ridicule, not just to say hydroxychloroquine hasn't been shown to be efficacious, but to actually begin sending the message out to the medical community around the country to where you had the medical boards in states because of Fauci's messaging, Fauci's language, telling individual doctors you can't prescribe hydroxychloroquine, getting doctors I know, friends of mine who are doctors, getting investigated by the state medical board in Texas for prescribing hydroxychloroquine because they saw that it worked. It stopped the disease from developing into a deeper and bigger problem. They caught it early. It was hydroxychloroquine along with zinc and uh, some other, whatever it was. The point is there was a protocol doctors were following. They were finding patients getting better. And the answer of the medical community around the country, including in Texas and medical boards in Texas, was to try to bring these doctors up on charges to threaten their medical license. There has never been a more absurd reaction, untethered to facts, untethered to the truth these doctors were trying to say. So you had hydroxychloroquine. I linked on our website today, just so you know what I'm talking about. On americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, under shows, drop down list of links, there is a great 
lengthy listing from the, a the AFLDS, America Frontline Doctors Organization, that shows study after study after study after study after study showing hydroxychloroquine extremely effective in dealing with COVID. One stunt the Fauci team tried was to do a study where the people were already in the hospital, long into the illness, very, very sick, and introducing hydroxychloroquine at that point, and found that it didn't, at that point, was not particularly effective. And so they, they, it was like they set up an intentionally false test. And so they could say, oh my gosh, yeah, we looked at it. These people it didn't help at all. I urge you to read this and really think about why. Why would Dr. Fauci and the entire medical establishment in Washington ignore the doctors who are treating COVID patients, who are trying to say it works well, and they, they could show you the results, they could show you the cases, they could show you this, their files, and they wouldn't listen. He wouldn't listen. I urge you to read the hydroxychloroquine one, similar one. Inhale budesonide. We had Dr. Richard Bartlett, a Midland, Texas doctor on my show. I still remember the date, July 2nd, 2020. Everyone's still in the COVID fear mode. And he came out on my show and said, look, I'm an emergency room doctor. I'm working a you know, 48 hour shift, concerned what if someone comes in and said, our, the protocol at that time is someone came in with COVID was don't prescribe anything unless they're already dying, send them home, you know, tell them to drink chicken soup and go to bed. I mean, no protocol at all. He, Dr. Bartlett, recognized the similarity of the breathing problem that people have with COVID that they had with asthma. So he began to try in the emergency room treating COVID patients with inhaled budesonide, which is used to treat asthma patients. You inhale it, it gets the, the budesonide down into your lungs, it, it opens up the lung passages, which therefore help to prevent the development of pneumonia. So he, Bartlett, talked about that on my show. We had enormous you know, success with that. The story went national, it went all over Congress. Uh, we, we, I mean, we have a solution we're ignoring here. And so that also, in addition to hydroxychloroquine having now many, many studies, double-blind studies showing it's very effective early on in COVID, inhaled budesonide was another treatment that Dr. Bartlett talked about other doctors came on my show and said, yes, yes, it's the greatest thing ever. Because what happens with COVID sometimes, some patients, people have different experiences with COVID, but some people get to where they can't breathe. And that's obviously very, very scary. And so he's saying, use inhaled budesonide, just like asthma patients, and having tremendous results. People on their deathbed, 48 hours later, walking out of the hospital. Why you could not get Dr. Fauci to acknowledge this when you're having doctors around the country telling him that it worked, you really need to ask yourself why. What would motivate, I know, I gotta tell you, I know there are plenty of people out there who just are sycophant level worshipful of anyone in government and certainly Dr. Fauci. In fact, I've had friends say to me, why would Fauci lie? Why would he lie? Why would he you know, withhold, I can't see a reason that he would withhold these great treatments if they really work. Obviously they don't really work. And the doctors who are actually treating patients, unlike Fauci, who hasn't treated any patients in 25 years, the doctors saying they worked, 
got not just criticized, maligned, brought up on charges before the state medical board, uh, threatened, uh, removed from positions in hospitals. I mean, this is the craziest, craziest episode America and the world have gone through. So you have now many studies, double-blind studies, showing also that budesonide work works. I mean, University of Oxford, other major institutions doing double-blind studies saying, my gosh, this works great. And then you had, in this time frame between February 2020 and now, or nearly the end of October 2021, um, you had, in that time period, Dr. Fauci announcing all the valid scientific data show that hydroxychloroquine isn't effective in treating coronavirus. And doctors are saying, what are you even talking about? I can show you the cases. He didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to hear it. I want to remind you also about the Great Barrington Declaration. The Great Barrington Declaration was a written up by a series of doctors trying to say, number one, that the way we are responding to COVID makes no sense. COVID still has, for virtually every segment of the population, except for those who are grossly um, obese, grossly overweight, serious pre-existing conditions, comorbidities, COVID has a 99% survival rate for almost everyone, for almost everyone. So Great Barrington saying, you know, why are we responding to COVID by shutting all of society down, shutting down businesses, forcing people to stay in their homes, forcing them to wear masks that don't work at all, forcing them to socially distance. No medical studies exist to show the social distancing does anything helpful to prevent the spread of COVID. So Great Barrington was first, it was originally disease, I think it was like four doctors who just said, yeah, it was three doctors. <clears throat> it was in Great Bar written in Great Barrington in America um, and signed off on October 4th, 2020, so just over a year ago, Dr. Martin Koldorf, professor of medicine at Harvard University, Dr. Sunetra Gupta, professor at Oxford University, uh, an epidemiologist with experience in immunology, vaccine development, and mathematical modeling, and Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, professor at Stanford University Medical School, physician epidemiologist. And what they said in this declaration is, please, Dr. Fauci, America, recognize we don't have to have this kind of massive shutdown society reaction. We've never done this before. It is unjustified. We can protect those most vulnerable, those who have pre-existing conditions, uh, over 70 or 80, whatever the number is going to be. We can protect the vulnerable without taking away the freedom of the American people. Between the time they did this, which is a little over a year ago, they're into, I think the number is 680,000 signatures around the world of doctors and other healthcare workers. 680,000 have signed on to say the entire reaction to COVID is preposterous. We have efficacious remedies. We have ivermectin, budesonide, hydroxychloroquine. All of these work. Why are we using those? Why are we allowing the shutdown of our country and the world when it's unnecessary and when you have a 99% survival rate for almost everyone? And then I want to turn, and then we had, by the way, more recently, we had a, an op-ed put out by Dr. Richard Bartlett, the one I mentioned was on my show in July, he's been on several times since then, and Senator Rand Paul 
put a piece out at Newsmax basically saying, a column saying, the government needs to get out of the way of COVID treatments that work. You have the government working against the interests of the American people to get access to the treatments that they need. The government stopping doctors from prescribing things that worked, stopping patients from getting access to what their doctors tell them. I mean, I, I, I know we've talked about this subject many times on this show, but I really want you to focus in because now I'm going to get to, I'm going to get one more letter and then I want to tell you um, what has happened with the FDA and the vaccines for children. But first, one more thing. There was an, an open letter written in August of 2020, well over a year ago, an open letter to Dr. Fauci signed off on by numerous doctors. Again, people in the practice of medicine saying open letter Dr. Fauci regarding the use of hydroxychloroquine for treating COVID-19. And they go through and just say very respectfully, we are doctors. We cannot understand why you're conducting the national public policy medical response to COVID in a manner inconsistent with the facts. Why? Why would you do this? Why would you instill this just kind of culture of fear? Why would you tell people things that don't that work don't work? Why don't you let doctors who actually understand and are treating COVID patients, let them do so without fear of retribution? Why aren't you standing up for the doctors in this country? And I, I'm telling you all this, people, because I really want to get around to making this point that when I say that COVID is a policy, the COVID policy of shut down America, vaccine mandates, vaccine passports, the broad swath of doctors, a massive number of doctors in this country and around this world have been trying to say since last year, all of this is unnecessary. This is a hyped up, irrational reaction vaccine mandates or you lose your job back to our firemen in the beginning of the show today vaccine mandates doctors are quitting hospitals healthcare workers are quitting hospitals the very necessary emergency services in new york city fire department health, the uh, police department emergency workers they know they've read the study they recognize now just as one example the cdc's own data the own vares data says now 17,000 Americans have died directly as a result. They've been killed by the vaccines. 17,000 Americans in the hundreds of thousands been disabled and some permanently disabled by the side effects of the vaccines. People, we're living in a world of insanity. Insanity. Responding to what COVID offered, what COVID did to this country because we didn't early on allow the doctors who found effective treatments to be listened to. We not only shut them down, we tried to remove their medical licenses. We let people die when they really could have gotten hydroxychloroquine in the first five days. They could have gotten budesonide, ivermectin, all sorts of treatments. And I go back to how I started this segment. The idea that will actually, that what actually requires, what actually has to happen in order for Democrats and Republicans in the Senate and House to get outraged by Fauci is because of puppies and monkeys 
where literally Americans have died because of the failure of this government to applaud the availability of effective treatments since the very beginning of COVID. You have to be somewhere on the Looney Tune scale to say, well, I care more about puppies and monkeys, and I do care about puppies and monkeys. I love animals. I love puppies. I hate what they did to those, people, those puppies, and I hope they get prosecuted. But the outrage should be in the minds and hearts of millions of Americans who recognize Fauci led the charge to shut down effective treatments and tell people the only choice they had was stay at home until they're dying, then show up at the hospital and for sure die getting on a ventilator and shutting down. And still to this day, hospitals around this country will not provide COVID patients once they're admitted with these very efficacious treatments everybody knows about. Last thing, and then I'll go to why it matters to you. So I think I mentioned the other day that the FDA <clears throat> was going to uh, have a hearing uh, yesterday. FDA was gonna have a hearing in which they're gonna decide what they're going to recommend with respect to vaccines for children. Please keep in mind, go back and listen to the interview on my show. Um, that was weeks ago now uh, by uh, Dr. Angelina Farella, a, 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 a pediatric, uh, a pediatrician in Houston, who said, and, and everybody's reporting this, everyone who talks about children have basically zero risk of death from COVID. They have under 0.00 something to even contract COVID. And when they do contract it, they have almost a zero death rate. And the reason is, unless they have a pre-existing health condition, in which case everything changes. But the, uh, the reason to, to this, to be clear, the FDA isn't mandating a vaccine. They're approving a vaccine for children between the ages of five and 12, when the death rate is nil, nil. And yet they're moving forward with this vaccine. It's like a steamroller, it's like a tank rolling through America, massive vaccine, uh, just hysteria, forcing them on people, forcing on firefighters who are healthy, have already had COVID, forcing on children who don't need them. So the FDA approved, they had the public comment period, people commented, they don't really care what people commented. They have their meeting and they voted unanimously to approve this FDA, the FDA approved this vaccine for COVID for five to 12 year olds. I just wanna read you a couple of comments that the people who voted to approve this vaccine for children for COVID said. The, the side, by the way, the side effect, among the serious side effects they're worried about with this vaccine is myocarditis, a heart thing. Okay, I vote yes. I do wanna point out that the rate of hospitalization of six to 11 year olds for COVID is less than 10 in 1 million. Hospitalization rate for kids six to 11, less than 10 in 1 million. Myocarditis in the vaccine is 150 for every million. Acknowledging hardly any kids go to the hospital, much higher risk of myocarditis, but you know, I voted yes. I voted yes. Um, I voted yes. Here's another person. I think it might be effective. It may reduce transmission. The myocarditis, you better keep an eye on this because you know, five and 11 year olds could be, could be susceptible to it. And listen to this statement. We're never gonna learn about how safe the vaccine is until we start giving it. People, 
They're, they're going to end up with vaccine mandates for children who don't need any vaccine for COVID. And FDA has approved it. And the people talking about the decision they made to, to approve it are saying we can't learn how safe it is until we start giving it. So America's children are guinea pigs for an unnecessary vaccine with a death rate that is mind-boggling. One more quote, and then we'll turn to why it matters to you. Um, well, the best way to protect most kids will be to do nothing. But they know that won't happen. They approve it. It's going to get mandated. The best way to protect most kids would be to do nothing. I voted yes for those children that really do need it. Another person, I voted yes. Safety concerns brought up by committee members makes me hope we don't mandate it. They approved a vaccine for COVID for kids 5 to 12 years old who have zero risk of dying, virtually zero risk of dying or even contracting it, recognizing it's unsafe, recognizing they don't know the outcomes, they don't know the risks, but they approved it. People, the danger to America is how COVID is being treated in a man, as, as a tool, as a method to suppress freedom, a method to tell the American people, you don't have any control over your health care. You don't have any health care rights. You don't have the right control of your own body. Government's going to tell you and tell you about your children, what they're going to do. And you have no liberty. You have no right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, because we're going to tell you because of this disease that has a 99% plus survival rate, we take away all your freedom. We're taking away your job. We're taking away your right as parents because we can, because we scared you to death about COVID. It is an outrage. At the close of every show, I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. And so we talked about the firefighters, call it communism. Start calling the left communists, my friends. Epoch Times featured a New York City protest by police and firefighters, including, includes revealing photos. Protest signs are not all about vaccine mandates. The protest signs are against the spread of communism. Police, firefighters, and the American people everywhere, they are connecting the dots. Pandemic fear-mongering is for the purpose of engineering the fundamental transformation of America, away from individual freedom and God-given rights with a government supposed to protect those rights. <clears throat> Excuse me. To the end of individual freedom and sovereignty replaced by masses under government control. This is what is meant by a communist takeover. Leftists believe most people are sheep and they can be controlled by fear. Americans have a unique heritage that won't bow to fear. America isn't done. Stay awake. Awaken others. Stand up. And on Fauci, puppy but not people outrage. The NIH's experiments with monkeys and puppies are awakening outrage towards Fauci. They are debased, cruel, and should be stopped. But what about Fauci's proven lies to Congress about gain-of-function research? He swore under oath they hadn't funded, NIH had not funded gain-of-function research with respect to the COVID, SARS COVID-19, and they did. The NIH admitted it, and so he lied to Congress. Nothing happens to him. What about Fauci's willful disregard and denial of re reputable studies endorsing effective early COVID treatments such as hydroxychloroquine and budesonide and ivermectin? What about Fauci's willful disregard of the Great Barrington Declaration, now signed by over 680,000 doctors and healthcare workers worldwide protesting and disputing NIH and CDC protocols? 
why is there even talk of mandating any injection for disease with a 99% recovery rate? Why is there even talk of mandating vaccines for children where data show very little risk of infection and almost zero risk of death and a high risk of serious adverse side effects? Pandemic hysteria has prompted dismissal of all logic, reason, and medical science. Fauciism is not about public health. It is about public control. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so very much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America?